the subject today, how God dwells within us. The verses that I want to highlight that were read earlier are John 3, verse 8, and 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. The wind blows where it will. We've learned that this winter, haven't we? We'd like to have stopped it numbers of times, but you just can't. It blows where it will. It's going to control itself. Nobody's going to control it. And though you hear its sound, yet you neither know where it comes from nor where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, you can't really explain this matter of God coming into a human life. It's a miracle. Neither can you explain where the wind comes from or where it goes, nor can you control it. So it is with the moving of God's Holy Spirit. He transforms lives, and the world marvels, though they may not understand it. If you could totally comprehend it, then you might be able to comprehend God, and he's too great for that. The wind blows where it will. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. And then in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you, you, are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Have you ever wondered how the giant redwoods draw water to their foliage? Often more than 300 feet in the air, well, you say, no, I never have. Well, maybe you ought to think about it. You've looked at these giant redwoods. The top has foliage. How in the world does the foliage, 300 feet or better in the air, get water? Well, Robert Collier writes on that subject, and he says, it is not done through pressure from the roots. It is done by pull from above. All through nature, the same law will be found, he said, to grow taller, reach higher. Now let me run that by you again. It is not done through pressure from the roots. It is done by pull from above. In other words, the foliage itself pulls the water or the moisture from beneath, up to where they are, and draws from it. The pressure comes from above. Now, a group of ministers met years ago to decide whether or not to invite Dwight L. Moody to their city for a crusade. They were seated together discussing the successful crusades which he had conducted in the past. One of the ministers present was not impressed by all of these reports. So finally he asked, does Mr. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Another minister replied, no, but the Holy Spirit seems to have a monopoly on Dwight L. Moody. And that's really what this subject today is all about are drawing on God's resources 
are allowing the Holy Spirit to have a monopoly on us. For we can walk in the flesh, or we can walk in the Spirit. We choose. We choose whether we're going to reach down and let that powerful flow of energy be in us, We decide whether we're going to let the Holy Spirit monopolize us or whether we are going to monopolize our own life. The story of Paul in Romans is the Spirit helps our weakness. Where we lack, he steps in. Ask yourself this question, what am I without the Holy Spirit's presence? He is called in John 14, 26, the Helper. Catherine Marshall wrote a wonderful book with that title, The Helper, about the Holy Spirit. From John 14, 26, he is our helper. We cannot live successfully without him, this blessed Holy Spirit dwelling within us. I love the story of a small businessman who came to this country from the old country, who kept his accounts payable in a cigar box, his accounts receivable on a spindle, and his cash in the cash register. He raised a son who became an accountant, and his son was so bothered by his father's ways, he said to him one day, I cannot understand how in the world you can run your business this way. How do you know what your profits are? That father replied, Son, when I got off the boat from the old country, I had only the pants I was wearing. Today your sister is an art teacher, your brother is a doctor, and you are an accountant. I have a car, a home, and a good business. Everything is paid for. So you add it all up, subtract the pants, and there's your profit. (laughs) And that's choice. As we gather to check up on ourselves today, we think of what we are. And we have to admit, all that we began with was our sin, our flesh, our miserable self. And the Holy Spirit touched us, for no man can claim Jesus as Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And anything that we have and anything that we are today, we just add it all up and subtract what we had at the beginning, and that's the profit. And brother, sister, I say, that is a marvelous miracle when we consider the Holy Ghost within us, what he has done, what God hath wrought. Praise the Lord. So there are five things that I want to run by you this morning in my message that I hope are in your life. If the Holy Spirit dwells there, then these things ought to dwell there. The first is love. 
God dwells within us in love, and it's two-faceted. An overwhelming love for Christ develops, and then a love for people. Jesus said in John 16, 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He shall glorify me, for He shall receive of mine and show it unto you. The Lord Jesus was simply pointing out that when you allow the Holy Spirit to come in, a love for Christ develops. It doesn't come all at once. I don't think we could handle it. But as we grow in the Lord, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, that love for Christ grows. We learn more of Jesus every day, and we love Him more every day. One of the old choruses that we used to sing growing up, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. It's a great thought, and it ought to be that way. A gift of the Spirit is love for the Savior. Do you love Jesus today? And is that a growing love and a growing appreciation for what Christ has done and who Christ is? Peter loved Jesus before Pentecost. But he was madly in love with him after Pentecost. He loved him much more. His fickleness was gone. His vacillating days were over. His message in Acts 2 was filled with Christ. You will notice in our bulletin today that the reading for the month of May is the book of Acts. We will be reading these 28 chapters. The second chapter, notice how much Peter talks about Christ, how he was buried and rose again for our justification. His whole message is permeated with this personage, Jesus Christ. There is a great danger I see in the church today, and that danger is being occupied with matters concerning Christ then we are occupied with Christ Himself. We can be so occupied with our doing that we're not occupied with being, and that we need to work on. As we see God dwelling in us, we cease to become so enamored by the events of our surroundings, and we begin to be enamored by His presence, the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. Hallelujah. How is it with you in that area? Do you love Christ more than you love anything or anybody in this whole world? God dwelling in us is love for Christ. Then secondly, it is love for people. Jesus said in John 13, love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. A young man said to Jesus, which is the great commandment? And Jesus said, love, love God and love your neighbor. This is the greatest of all. We would like to be associated with God's family without often reaching out to God's family, but you cannot live that way. Too often we're busy to get to the parking lot and get our car out on the avenue before the rest. 
and we don't stop to love when people all around us are reaching out for that love. I got a letter this week from a missionary in Argentina. I do not know this missionary. He wrote to me because by some chance he came across one of our tapes, tapes that you provide for missionaries around the world. We send a bundle of them out constantly, and they get in the most unusual places. This missionary is not on our list, but somehow he got one of our tapes. He listened to it. It was a message about resentment. It was preached about three years ago from this pulpit. He said in his letter to me, there were some injured relationships during some trying times here in Argentina. He said there was a relationship between myself and another pastor that was not good. Resentment, bitterness. And as I listened to your message on resentment, and it came to the close, he said, I found myself weeping before the Lord broken in the presence of God, and I knew that I had not been loving people. I'd been allowing resentment and bitterness to enter in, and it was becoming injurious to the work of God. I went to that pastor. I apologized. We were reconciled together. I preached on resentment to our people on Sunday, and there was a move of God. You see, you have to love people. God doesn't even give us an option. He says, love one another as I have loved you, and that's unconditional. It doesn't have anything to do with how you comb your hair or what colors you put on, whether you've been to the color analyst or not. Whether you know your summer, winter, autumn, or fall, it doesn't matter. <laughs> all this newfangled stuff. I've been dressing all right for 49 years. <laughs> Suddenly, I don't wear the right color. And somebody who has become an expert tells me about it. Don't wear that shirt. It makes you look pale. Well, phooey. It's a shirt. It's in my closet. And I can't just leave it there. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you look pale or not. whether you came from the right side of the tracks, whether you've been a member here for 50 years or you came in today for the first time, God in us says, I love you in Jesus' name. This is the church where love is, we say. Maybe we don't all have it put together like we're supposed to. But thank God there is the privilege of loving. And I pray for an increase of it in the body of Christ. Amen? Love, that's how you tell. Secondly, concern. Ties in beautifully with the first word, love. Someone said that Paul, after being filled with the Spirit, was out of breath 
chasing lost people. I like that definition of Paul, willing to make any sacrifice to win others. His concern was that the Holy Spirit dwell within us. And he went everywhere inviting people to have that kind of experience. Do you have concern for people in this world? In March of 1974, I came across a beautiful story of a young lady in our Assembly of God Church in Bozeman, Montana. It was at the time when Huntley and Brinkley were big on the news. The Huntley-Brinkley Report was a daily a diet for many people in America. But Chet Huntley finally retired because of cancer, and he retired to his ranch in Bozeman, Montana. This young lady from the local Assembly of God Church was hired by the Huntleys to assist in the household. On a Monday, after a wonderful Sunday, this young lady, filled with God, working in the room where Chet Huntley was lying, said to him, Mr. Huntley, do you know that God loves you? He said, no one has ever told me that before. She came over to his bed and said, well, he does love you, Mr. Huntley. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, that you wouldn't have to go to a Christless hell, but could go to heaven and be with the Lord. She explained to him the plan of God's salvation, and then he, she said to him, Mr. Huntley, would you like to invite Christ into your heart today? Looking up from his pillow, he said, I sure would. And he did. And Chet Huntley, on Wednesday, died. Two days after this little lady, young teenager from the local assembly of God Church who had a concern for people, told him about Jesus. He was gone from this life. Wouldn't it be tragic if that little girl hadn't talked to Mr. Huntley about his soul? But we can sit here and rejoice today that we'll have somebody to broadcast the news in heaven in an effective way who wouldn't have been there without that witness for Christ. Hallelujah. Out of concern, she reached out to him. What if that had been you? Would you have reached out as she did? Are you the link between someone and heaven? The word concern is almost a lost word today. There, there's kind of a complacency about life. We see it in the news all the time. People murdered. Sometimes the murder goes over a period of minutes and people pass by and don't do a thing about it. They bleed to death because no one's there to help. They lie in gutters, beaten and robbed, and they pass by like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan long ago. No concern. I don't want to get involved. Friend, we don't have a choice. God dwelling within us says, you, know, you are not an island. You have to get involved with other people. As a Christian, you have no choice. That's how you tell whether God is dwelling within you, whether you have a concern about lost souls and about life itself. 
This community should be upon our hearts. This church should be upon our hearts. If your seat is empty in church, it speaks of unconcern. If your envelopes are missing in the offering, it speaks of unconcern. Christ wants you as a surrendered, clean vessel for His use. Dennis sang it this morning. I surrender all. A Christ-like concern develops for others when we say that. Do you have it? That's a biblical sign of God dwelling within. The third word is boldness. When the early Christians were filled, they spoke the word of God with boldness. And that word simply means without fear. Speaking without fear. In Acts 5 is a wonderful example of how this works. The apostles were cast into prison. Peter said to the council, we ought to obey God rather than men. They were released through the intercession of Gamaliel but commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus again. And here's the record in Acts 5. And they departed the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily, in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. What's the matter, fellas? Didn't you hear the council? You're not to talk in his name anymore. We ought to obey God rather than men, they said. They were not afraid. They knew if they were killed, they would be with the Lord anyway. So what did they have to lose? Only their life. And Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The threats did not deter one whit their witnessing. The Holy Spirit with them and in them gave them a boldness they did not fear. You have that mark of God dwelling within? Why is it that people in our world can get up on a soapbox, stand on the steps of the Capitol, and declare any weird kind of thing they want to? And where is the church? Cloistered between four walls. Where is the boldness of the church? Where is God dwelling within us, being manifest to this world? Where are the placard carriers? Where are the sign carriers? Where are those who will stand up and say, I don't believe this, or I believe this? Where is the boldness of the early church? To speak without fear. This week I flew to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then a plane to Aberdeen, South Dakota. I was met by a red van with a young man from Trinity Bible Institute to take me to Ellendale, North Dakota, where Friday morning I preached to the graduation exercises of that school. On the way, which was 40 miles from the airport to Ellendale, through all of that open country, Troy and I got acquainted. He was a third-year student in the Institute from a farm in North Dakota, a fine-looking young man. And in the process of conversation, he told me what he was going to be doing this summer. And I thought it was most unique. He said, I'm going to ride a bicycle from North Dakota to Florida. I said, you've got to be kidding. That's a long ways. 
I learned that five other young men from the college are going with him. Six young men riding a bicycle from North Dakota to Miami, Florida. So, of course, the next question was why? And the answer was simply so we can tell people about Jesus. We have sent letters to, to radio stations all along our path, and we know that many of them are going to come out to interview us as we're moving through their cities, and we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to pitch up tents along the road, if necessary, and we're going to talk about Jesus. We have 32 services scheduled in churches all the way along the way. We're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to spend their summer and their energy talking about Jesus from North Dakota to Florida. I think that is fantastic. Unashamed. I may have mentioned before the fellow walking the sidewalk with a sandwich board which read on the front, I'm a fool for Jesus, and they laughed at him as they walked by until they turned and saw the backside of the board which read, Whose fool are you? Are you bold for God? God dwelling in you brings boldness. The Bible teaches us that. We don't bury our heads in the sand. We don't hide when the heat gets hot. We don't run from the enemy and the obstacles. We rise up and say, we will obey God rather than men. And friend, we're living in an hour when that's an absolute. You men who lead families, you'd better have that boldness to lead your family in the way they ought to go. There are many other voices that will speak to them if you don't. We need a holy boldness. God dwelling in us gives us that. I'm a fool for Jesus. Whose fool are you? Fourth, God dwells within us in joy. The last verse in Acts 13 says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. This was following persecution in Antioch and being ex expelled from the city. They shook the dust off their feet and came to Iconium, filled with joy. Incredible. They had some dark hours. I mean some really dark hours. I've never been thrown out of a city in my life. They were thrown out of a city. They were persecuted. They were put in jail. But they had joy. They were filled with joy. Now what's wrong with us? What are we complaining about? You know the dark hours cannot be avoided. They're going to come because we're human beings. They're the common lot of mankind. Unless we have the lifting power of the Holy Spirit, we will sink very low. But when we have that lifting power, we have joy. Some of the difficulties right now that you're going through, financial, sickness, home problems, loss of loved ones. But when the Holy Spirit fills us, we will have joy in the midst of our tribulation. How God dwells within us. I look out here today and I could tell some stories. I just spotted a few moments ago a lady whose husband is lying in a nursing home, unable to take care of himself. 
been that way now for some time, a terrible disease, but she's here week after week, and she blesses me because I sense joy in the Holy Ghost. There's a family here today bereaved of a very dear loved one, but there has only been praise and thanksgiving to God that I have heard from that family. The Holy Spirit in us, what does it produce? Joy! Lift up your countenance. Romans 14, 17, and 18 says, Joy in the Holy Spirit is approved of men. What does that mean? It means they're tired of religion. They're tired of laws. They're tired of rituals. They're tired of tradition, but they approve of joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit is approved of men. Love constrains. Joy compels. A joyful heart doeth good like a medicine. When you look at the statistics, we better get some joy or there's not much hope. I was reading in the Association Management magazine that 80% of Americans suffer from back pains at some time in their lives. More than 50% are overweight. 50% have dentures and 57% wear glasses. And all of that must create an awful lot of headaches because the, the article said that Americans devour 21 tons of aspirin every day of the year. Back pain, dentures, eyeglasses, overweight, headaches, headaches. And it's bleak everywhere you look unless you look where the Holy Ghost is. And where he is, there is joy in the midst of all of those statistics. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? Even you fat people can laugh. <laughs> and those of you who are hurting right now in your back can smile. Hallelujah. We're not going to have all of these problems forever. We're going to leave this old earth one of these days and it's all going to stay behind us. We will be with him and there will be victory forever. So let us rejoice because God dwells in us now and we are overcomers in him who loved us. Are you a joyful heart? It's a sign of God dwelling within. I'd get real worried if I didn't have some joy. Trouble is, I've got so much I can hardly stand still. That's my problem. But God is good. Now there's one more before we go to dinner. You never thought that I thought about that, did you? <laughs> Once in a while. I just felt a little pang and I thought, oh yeah. It's the next thing on the agenda after God finishes with us here. You see, I don't eat breakfast on Sunday mornings. I like to fast and come with my heart full of God, not my stomach full of food. And I feel stronger when I preach than almost any time in my week. I don't understand it, but it's marvelous. But that did occur to me just a moment ago. <laughs> One more, that's what I was going to tell you. The word is power. Power. Ye shall receive power 
after the government passes some good laws. You shall receive power when everything is going well at the job. No, you know better. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Holy Spirit in you demands action. You can't remain aloof when God dwells in you. There has to be action, movement. The great violinist Niccolo Paganini willed his marvelous violin to Genoa, the city of his birth but only on condition that the instrument never be played upon again. It was an unfortunate condition, for it is a peculiarity of wood that as long as it is used and handled, it shows little wear. As soon as it is discarded, it begins to decay. The exquisite, mellow-toned violin that he played has become worm-eaten in its beautiful case, valueless except as a relic. The moldering instrument is a reminder that life, withdrawn from all service to others, loses its meaning. And the Bible is filled with this message of power. Pray in the Spirit. Sing in the Spirit. Preach in the Spirit. Witness in the Spirit. The secret of the Spirit's fullness, the absolute unqualified surrender of our lives to God to do His will instead of our own and to live with a power that impresses, a power that penetrates, a power that blesses, a power that lifts. These are the five signs of God dwelling within us. He dwells in love, He dwells in concern, He dwells in boldness, He dwells in joy, and He dwells in power. Take an inventory. What's missing? What's lacking? As we disciple ourselves in this series of messages, God is saying to us, check up on yourself. Is there love there? Is there concern there? Is there boldness there? Is there joy there? Is there power there? Are you different than anybody else in this world? A farmer was telling his pastor how generous he would be if only he had a lot of money. So the pastor said, if you had two million dollars, would you give one million to God? And the farmer said, oh yes, pastor, I certainly would. Well, he said, if you had two large farms, would you give one of them to God? Certainly I would, said the farmer. So he followed with the third question, if you had two hogs, would you give one of them to God? To which the farmer said, now, pastor, that's not fair. You know I have two hogs. <laughs> you see, the one man in Jesus' parable of the talents who failed was the one who did nothing. He buried his talent. What I'm talking about is God dwelling within us, providing manifestations to this world that will bring a blessing. And so often we are talking about if, if I had thus and so, if I could be thus and so, if I could just have this, 
then I would give or I would do. But you see, it never works in that realm. You get yourself filled up with God. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. It shows, it manifests itself. It's something you can touch. It's something you can get a hold of. It's not pie in the sky. It's not a bunch of ifs. It's using what God gives us. It is allowing His power and presence to roll from us until this world has to believe. Because God is dwelling within us. It's not mamby-pamby. It's the real thing. And it's what God is waiting to do for this church. And each one of us here if we'll just open up and say, I surrender all, Lord, I give it all to you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Let's pray. Father God, we bow our hearts and our heads humbly before you, thanking you for another opportunity to declare truth from this pulpit. Thank you for eager ears and hearts that have received the word today, for we have sensed it as we've looked into their faces, the eagerness to know, the eagerness to have God dwelling within. Now may we move, dear Lord, to the altar where we will say, I'm lacking in joy, or I'm lacking in power, or I'm lacking in boldness or I'm lacking in love, or lacking in concern. I need these particular items. Oh, God, help me. Fill me. Hallelujah. Somehow I feel, Lord, there are people reaching out right now for certain elements of this message, and you're providing in a beautiful way what is being asked for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Where we lack, you have the supply. So fill us full. Hallelujah. While we're bowed in prayer, may I ask if there are those of you who have come to church today without a knowledge of Jesus. Maybe you are like Chet Huntley was. You didn't know Jesus cared for you. He loves you and he died for you. And you don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. I'd like to pray for you. And the raising of your hand will indicate, yes, I want Jesus in my life today the forgiveness of my sins. If I should die today, I don't think I'd go to meet God, but I want to, and I know the raising of my hand will be the sign that I'm inviting Christ in today. Would you raise it up right now and let me join you in prayer. God bless you, sir. Thank you right here. God bless you, sir. On the aisle, thank you. God bless these men. That have